Hi, y'all. It's Ashley. We're back on the podcast, and this week I am sitting down with Danielle Kepix to discuss women's health, periods, cervical mucus, and hormones, and so much more. I am so excited for y'all to hear from Danielle, so without further ado, let's get into the podcast. All right, everyone, welcome back to Ballistic Performance Radio. This is episode number 80, and I am here with Danielle. It is a Thursday afternoon, and we literally decided to hop on here 10 minutes ago, maybe 15. Uh, So I'm going to give a quick intro to Danielle. If you've listened to our episodes before, you've uh, you know her, but Danielle is a board certified physician assistant, certified nutrition coach and former counselor and personal trainer. She is a partner, fur baby, mom, lover of the outdoors and a fitness and nutrition enthusiast. She is also the founder of the Strong and Unfiltered podcast. And she is also a member of the BP family, and we are so excited that she is here to talk about women's health, periods, cervical mucus, hormones, all of the fun things. I am so excited to chat with you, Danielle. (laughs) And yeah, I don't know like why we haven't done this before. I know. I think, well, I think Derek and I got into it a little bit when I talked to him and I'm sure he is probably dying to be on this podcast right now, (laughs) which like I tell him stuff about my period all the time with training and he's probably like, whatever. I'm like, you need to know Derek, like this shit is important. (laughs) Literally this morning. So I'm reading, you know, the fifth vital sign. And as I take notes, I do like the word dictation or whatever. So it's 6am and I'm like, the five cervical mucuses and I'm like speaking through my phone and he's like I don't need to hear this at 6 a.m. I'm like yes you do you do deal with it (laughs) deal with it yeah no so that's a really great intro because so there's this really great book called the fifth vital sign by Kelly Hendricks and Jack um she is like a women's health guru. She's a certified fertility coach. Um, I'm actually in progress of becoming a certified fertility educator as well, which we can get into later. Um, but if you are even the slightest bit interested in learning more about your body and learning about women's health, I recommend everybody start there because your period and your menstrual cycle is your fifth vital sign. American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology made it so in 2015. That is not like a Danielle Kepik statement. That is like a very prestigious ACOG thing. And that's short for American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology in case I reference it later, call it ACOG. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so many women don't realize how important their menstrual cycle is. And that's another thing that when I ask women and my patients, I say, how long is your menstrual cycle? They'll say five days. And I'm like, no, 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 that's your period. How long mm-hmm. is your menstrual cycle? Like so many women don't even know. And this is not a shame thing. This is a, the, the system has not taught women this, whether it is in sex ed, whether it's their primary care doctor, whether it's whoever it is in their life, that's a professional or somebody in charge of teaching them about their bodies. It's, it's lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like, such a big wake up to call to me whenever I had my medical assistant start asking every single woman, are you on any type of contraception or, um, when was your last menstrual cycle or menstrual period? So many women didn't know the difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's mind blowing to me. So this is kind of random, but I'm curious. (laughs) Do you, 
what did you learn in school? Like, did you go out <laughs> and learn all of this by, because you were interested? Yeah, I, honestly, I can't tell you the first thing that made me stumble upon like this area of information, but I can tell you that I, I think what spiraled all of this for me, for people who have listened to previous episodes that I've been on, I went down the nutrition rabbit hole and I was in a severe caloric deficit for about two years. I had the Mirena, which is a progestin only IUD. Um, so it's a hormonal IUD. Um, sometimes shuts down ovulation, sometimes not. The The theories are mi- mixed between that. There are other ways that it works. I'm not going get, to get into all of the mechanisms of action of all the different types of birth control here. But I didn't have a period for a long time. And when I started really researching into what under eating had been doing to my under eating over exercise had been contributing to like the negative health effects on my body, I felt I I found this physician, Dr. Jolene Brighton, and she's the author of uh, Beyond the Pill, which she coined the term post birth control syndrome. And I've, I've spent a lot of time like idolizing women like her and Nicole Jardim and Laura Bryden. And it's so cool because Jolene actually asked me to be a contributor to her website like, and I just, That's that was so like cool. such a big moment of accomplishment for me where I was like, wow, like that's super cool. So, um, but I think that's the, what, when I found Jolene, I found a lot of other women who were talking about this and no, to answer your question, no, I was not taught any of this in physician assistant school, which is why I, you know, so many women become frustrated with their doctors and I understand that. And it is... <laughs> Yes, it's partially their responsibility to continue learning because 50% of their population base is women. It is also an institutional level problem. And there is actually um, an organization called Facts About Fertility. Um, there's a physician, I think her name is Dr. Marguerite, Marguerite Duane. I'm butchering her first name. I don't know why that's so hard for me to say. She's a professor at Georgetown University and she's integrating fertility awareness-based methods and how women's bodies truly work into Georgetown. Wow. And I am just dying for this to get widespread. Like it, it's fine. Like all of us who understand fertility awareness and women's bodies are like, yes, someone in conventional medicine, someone in conventional medicine is pioneering for this. And I fucking love her. I heard her on, um, I first heard her on Julie Fouché's podcast. Oh, so. cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah. One, I'll have to listen yeah. to that uh, episode, but that's Yeah, she was actually awesome. just on um, Kelly Hendricks and Jack's podcast too. She has a podcast called Fertility Friday. Okay. Um, she's had some really great guests recently. Um, but yeah, no, I, I stumbled on all of this really on my own. And I was like, how was this not taught to me? Mm-hmm you know, and how am I reading notes from gynecologists that are saying like, let's help someone get pregnant by putting them on the birth control pill and quote unquote, regulating their cycle, which we'll get into later. That's, that's not how the pill works. Um, and that's not how people get pregnant by the way. (laughs) Um, but you know, these are board certified gynecologists and I'm like, why can I talk circles around you about women's health? Like you make twice as much money as I do and go to three times as much schooling. Like you have, you go to a fellowship in vaginas. Like what are we doing here? (laughs) yeah it it blows my mind it makes no sense yeah yeah so I mean I think if you want me to start talking about like the basics and just like what what does what what does the female body go into if you have like any other questions before I kind of roll no I think that's a perfect place to start so I think one of the most important things for women to understand is simply how their body works and what 
reproductive hormones that they have. Um, I'm not going to talk about testosterone and DHEA and DHES, which are androgens that we produce. I'm really just going to focus on the four main hormones that are kind of a positive feedback loop to our menstrual cycle. So FSH, which is follicle stimulating hormone, is the first hormone to rise. It is initiated in the anterior pituitary gland in your brain. So that's where it is produced when I say it's initiated. What follicle stimulating hormone is responsible for is talking to your ovaries. So this is kind of like if you can imagine just like point A to point B, point A to point B, and just in a circle. Mm-hmm. Um, so follicle stimulating hormone talks to your ovaries and it says, hey, estrogen, like let's start doing some things. Like let's start <laughs> producing some estrogen ovaries. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I try to explain this like in a fun way and in a, in a way that most people can understand without graphics makes it kind of difficult. Um, but so your estrogen levels start to rise once follicle stimulating hormone rises to a certain level. And what estrogen does then is it will talk back to your brain, back to your anterior pituitary gland and say, okay, cool. We've reached a sufficient level where I can have an LH spike. An LH spike is super important and significant in the woman's menstrual cycle because it is responsible for triggering ovulation, which really truly is the main event um, of the menstrual cycle. And what happens at ovulation is the follicle that our little egg is in that's been maturing for, depending on when you want to start, but really the the dominant follicle starts its journey about 90 days uh, before before your current ovulation. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. So that's why when I talk to people about like making lifestyle changes, I'm like, listen, this isn't going to happen in one cycle. It's going to be at least, depending on how adherent you are and what types of changes you make, at least three cycles until we see a difference because the cycle I'm experiencing now started three months ago. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So we have our follicle, our little egg is released and that follicle ends up turning into what we call the corpus luteum, which if you become pregnant is the structure that produces progesterone to support a pregnancy up until about week 10 or 11 till the placenta takes over. Mm -hmm. And if not, it's still responsible for the progesterone that we produce. Right. So, and at that point, we start to see um, a rise in basal body temperature, which I'll get into later, but progesterone raises our basal body temperature. And then if we don't become pregnant and if that egg is not fertilized, we see a drop off in progesterone and basal body temperature. And that's when we see the sloughing of the endometrium. Okay. So um, yeah, I mean, progesterone is super important for like reducing PMS symptoms, usually women with really bad PMS, um, they're, they're low in progesterone. They're having what we call luteal phase defect, which I'll get into a little bit later when we talk about the length of things. Um, but super important for your brain health, reducing anxiety, boosting your mood. Um, it's important for stabilizing the uterine lining while estrogen is important for building up that uterine lining. So when we see women with heavy periods, we know we're probably making too much estrogen in when we compare it to, up to progesterone levels. Um, also uh, estrogen, also super important for bone and cardiac health. So women who there's some research suggesting that women who shut down their cycles, shut it down with hormonal contraception, um, end up having, you know, more cardiac disease, osteoporosis, that type of thing. Okay. That makes sense. 
Um, anything else like hormone physiology that you want to get into? I mean, I could, I could go down a rabbit hole with that, but that's, I think the basic understanding is that what I really want people to understand is that each part of your cycle is dominated by a different hormone. So the first half of your cycle is called your follicular phase, which is dominated really by estrogen. The second half of your um, cycle is called your luteal phase, which is dominated by progesterone. So when we, and I, and I want people to understand that I am not a hater on birth control or people who take it. I've used it. I get it. I didn't understand what it was doing to my body because it was never explained to me. Even being a physician assistant with an advanced medical degree, I didn't fully understand what was happening. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew that it shut down ovulation and that's how it worked, but I didn't understand that I had the hormone levels of a postmenopausal woman. Mm -hmm. So if you are not having those natural flux fluctuations in your hormones and they are your, your brain and your ovaries are not communicating to each other, you are not having a true menstrual cycle. You are not having a true period. You, you are shutting all of that down. <laughs> yeah. Which like people don't talk about that's, I told you that I had a friend text me or message me last night because I'm constantly reposting your, your information. And they were like, I'm just curious, like, why are you against birth control? And I'm like, oh, I'm not against it at all. Like, I am totally for if you understand what it does to your body and you make that choice. Uh, cool. Great. But I was like, the more I'm learning and we'll talk about the course like you're taking me through. I'm like, the more I'm learning, I'm like, the more that I'm realizing that people just don't talk about it and they don't no. know. No. And and women don't. And that's what I tell my patients. I'm like, listen, I'm not with anything, whether you want to get a vaccine, whether you want to get a mammogram, whether you want to do blood work. Like I am not a dictator. I am a mm -hmm. facilitator in your health. It is my, it is not my job to judge you yes. for your choices or your decisions or what works best for you, your life and your body. It is my job to make sure that you have information. And this is not information that I was ever privy to. And even again, as a woman with an advanced medical degree, I did not know. Yeah. So yeah. I just feel very strongly about people having the information and feeling like they have the right to understand their bodies because you should not need an advanced medical degree to understand your body. And these things are not taught and it, it just enrages me. Yeah. You know, it's, there's no conversation. There's no informed consent. There's no, you know, talks about the side effects and, and just really why a woman's menstrual cycle is important to their health, like their mental health, their physical health. And I mean, let's be honest, women are severely under-researched in this area. Like I could go on, I could do a whole podcast on that, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I'm actually having uh, Dr. Sarah Hill. She's like a neuro, neuroendocrinology researcher in women's health. She's coming on the podcast in oh, June. Cool. She, she, she wrote the book, um, Your Brain on Birth Control, which I also highly recommend. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I could go on and on about like each aspect of this conversation for hours and hours. Um, I just want, I want women to, to feel confident in the decision that they're making. That's, that's best for them. And that that's going to change probably based on what phase of their life that they're in, whether they're a college student, you know, I have college students who I tell about this and they're like, I love this and I want to do this, but I can't put the brain power to this right now. Mm -hmm. I have PA students who tell me this. I'm like, yeah, it's probably not the time for you to come off birth control when you've been on it for like 12 years. Like, I don't know how your body's going to react to that right now. Yeah. It's probably not a good idea, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. That That's really, that's a good point. Um, 
Well, so why don't we get into like what a normal menstrual cycle looks like? Yeah, so um, there's a lot of different ways you can look at this. And like I said, we we hopped on this last minute. So hopefully I'm thinking of them all off the top of my head. (laughs) Um, I think the biggest thing that people say, well, oh, I'm I'm having a normal menstrual cycle is is length, right? So we want to see a menstrual cycle between 24 and 36 days. And how you measure a menstrual cycle in duration is day one is the first day that you bleed. So true bleeding, not like brown spotting, maybe from leftover from the last endometrial lining that you were shedding. So day one of the first day that you truly bleed up until the day before your next period starts. So 24 to 36 days. Um, The other thing that we look at is how much blood do you lose? And this, and what does the blood look like? What color is it? Do you have a ton of clots? Um, You want your blood to really be like a, like a ruby red color. You don't want it to be purple or black or very clotty. And as far as the amount goes, if you're using like a menstrual cup, you can measure it really easily because it actually has like, it actually has like measuring lines, like a measuring cup would. That's in the book. They were saying that I was like, I can't wait to try because I've never used one. Yeah, I use one. And once I got the right fit, it was life changing. Um, So 30 to 80 milliliters of blood. Um, So what that can look like is, uh, you know, you really don't want to be changing you know, a super tampon more than every two hours, uh, you know, more than for like two days of your period. Um, I think it's like five or six regular tampons. I always kind of have to have to look this up. Um, I I have the notes if you want. I just took them (laughs) yesterday. (laughs) So light tampons hold up to three milliliters, medium hold up to four milliliters, heavy, eight milliliters, which I've never seen heavy, but super is 12 milliliters when fully soaked. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah. good to know. Um, yeah, it's a little harder and, and I get really specific with my women too. Like how fully soaked is your tampon? How fully soaked is your pad? Yeah. Um, cause those are questions that aren't asked either. Um, you know, other, you know, quote unquote, normal things of a, of a, of a menstrual cycle of, or I should say specifically of a period Um, what kind of symptoms do you have? Like, it is not okay for your period to like knock you out for one or two days. Like there's, there's something going on there. If you have period problems, you have health problems, whether it's your gut, whether it's a nutrient deficiency, whether your hormones are out of balance, there's something going on there. Right. Um, so you should not have a debilitating headache one to two days a month. You should not be so fatigued that you can't go to your job or to school. You should not have cramps so bad that you have to take, you know, controlled substance painkillers, um, you know, maybe like taking some ibuprofen or Tylenol. Ibuprofen is the better choice because it inhibits prostaglandins, which is actually what makes, um, it's a contractile. Um, it, it, it helps contractions. So it helps shed your uterine lining. And it's also why you start to get like diarrhea or more stool or looser stool, like right when your period comes. So, you know, you get that whole, like, okay, I've got it coming out of every end here <laughs> yeah, kind of thing. <laughs> um, so those are, I think, the most important things related to to period and also period length, um, three, to, three to seven days. So if we're shorter than three days, we're not making enough estrogen to build up that lining to have enough to slough um, in general. And any longer than seven days, as long as you don't have a copper IUD, which can prolong bleeding just by one or two days or so. Um, so three to seven days is the length. And you want 
you want at least one of those days to be a heavy flow or two of those days to be a moderate, something that is going to add up to at least those 30 milliliters to show that we're making sufficient amounts of estrogen to build up that, that uterine lining. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, do you want to talk about like ovulation here or do you want to yeah. talk about that in a little? Yeah. So I, I I'm kind of just like moving through, is all of this kind of computing and making sense? Do you think? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, the next thing that happens is we kind of have this, that's, that's when our FSH is, is starting to rise is kind of either towards, towards the end of the period or a couple of days after, um, and the rise in estrogen. And then we have that ovulation event. So anything before preceding ovulation is considered your follicular phase. So then you have ovulation, which happens. Um, this is a myth that you need to ovulate on day 14. Like most women don't ovulate on day 14. Um, <laughs> just FYI, the only reason that the timing of ovulation matters is in measuring your luteal phase length, which is the day that you ovulate, um, until the end of your cycle. And this is really, really important. And this is why I say you, a lot of women will say they're having a normal menstrual cycle, but you can't really know unless you're measuring your luteal phase. And there are ways that you can do that. We're going to get into that. Mm -hmm. But you want your luteal phase to be anywhere between nine and 18 days. And the reason for this is anything less than that, we call luteal phase defect, which is generally symptoms of low progesterone. So you'll have spotting several days before your period actually starts. Um, headaches, insomnia, anxiety, severe mood swings, um, you know, anything that really goes along, <laughs> along with PMS symptoms that people don't like, you can pretty much attribute to low progesterone. So, you know, that's, that's why I'm a big proponent of women measuring their basal body temperature, tracking their cervical mucus so that you can understand how long is my luteal phase, because that shows how much progesterone you're producing, which is not only important to your overall health, but when we're talking about pregnancies, it, it, low progesterone is the number one reason for a miscarriage in the first trimester. So how many fertility drugs and everything else could be avoided if women just understood their cycles? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what was the question I was going to ask you next? <laughs> oh, with, do you want to discuss like a little bit more with like basal body temperature? Yeah, I can go into like fertility awareness stuff or, um, you know, whatever you want me to go into at this point. <laughs> well, what, I know we talked a little bit about like what the pill does. Yeah. Is there anything yeah. else that you want to discuss there? Um, yeah. So, I mean hormonal contraceptives really I have women that come come after me with this about like it doesn't do that it doesn't shut my hormones down and I'm like listen Susan that's literally what it says on the package insert with how it works like it shuts down ovulation if you don't shut down ovulation like you're gonna get pregnant if you're having sex right like yeah. if you're sexually active um and you know even even before we get into the shutting down of hormones is I think really the message in society and doctor's offices, 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 offices. <laughs> Why was I that so hard? I don't know. <laughs> Somewhere Derek is making fun of me. Um, <laughs> but is the, 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 the story, the narrative that is perpetuated and the treatment that is perpetu perpetuated is hormonal birth control has been the answer for every woman's woe related to their menstrual cycle, to their mood, to anything else that they have, whether it's cramps, whether it's headaches, whether it's excessive bleeding, clotting, um, 
long periods, irregular periods, whatever. Um, let me shut down that myth right now for everybody that the birth control pill does not regulate your menstrual cycle. Please stop saying that. Doctors, mm. providers, if you're listening, stop it and go get yourself educated because I can't with that anymore. Yeah. I'm just, I'm so done with it. It shuts your cycle down. That's how it works. And, you know, acne is a good example. If a man came into my office with acne and I suggested we give him a pill that shuts down his testosterone to fix his acne, how many men do you think would actually take that pill? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Right. Because testosterone is important to a man's health, right? They feel like garbage when it's low. Mm -hmm. Estrogen and progesterone is just as important to a woman's health, but we shut it down because of, because of acne, because of difficult periods, because of irregular periods, heavy bleeding, because it is not taught how to help that. That narrative does not exist except for Georgetown. And God bless the second that that hits mainstream. I can't wait. Yeah. That's going to change the world. (laughs) Dude. I mean, it, it just blows my mind. If you go to your doctor for knee pain, Nicole Jardim gave this example on my podcast. She's like, you go to your doctor for knee pain. Do you expect them to figure out why you're having knee pain or just give you a painkiller to shut it down? No, you expect them to run tests. Mm -hmm. You expect them to figure out why you're having knee pain period. Right? Nope. I mean, pun intended. (laughs) So that is why I feel strongly about that. And that is why I speak the way that I do about it because I mean, birth control has been the longest running like ex- experiment in history. It has. It is. It is by the uh, the WHO, the World Health Organization. It's considered a class one carcinogen. I How the hell know am that. I allowed to write a prescription for that? Wow. You can. I mean, you can find the information. It's out there. Like independent fact checkers, go fact check me. It's <laughs> it's cr- it's crazy, and. So I want women to understand. And again, like, yes, I feel I am not on birth control at this point in my life. And maybe I would have made a different decision back in my twenties. Maybe I would have said, ah, fuck it. I'll never get old. I don't care. (laughs) Like, you know, who knows what I would have done. Um, but yeah, so, and when you're on birth control, you're not, you know, you're not having a true period in order to have a true menstrual period, you have to ovulate. Mm-hmm. anything that happens with bleeding while you're on the birth control pill is a withdrawal bleed because you are not getting the synthetic hormone. So notice that I emphasize that the, the hormone that is in your birth control pill is not the same organ. When you get down to an organic chemistry structure, it is not the same as the stuff that your body produces. So is it just different mechanisms that make people get like that fake period, like every 28 days while on birth control yeah. versus not getting it at all? Right. So when you take away that synthetic progestin and we talked about progesterone Mm -hmm. um, and how it stabilizes the uterine lining, birth control works in the same way. And there are four different classes of progestins. So some birth control pills that work for some women are great and they do awful on other ones because that progestin component changes. I gotcha. Um, But so when we take away that progestin, the uterine lining becomes unstable and that's when it sheds. I gotcha. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah. And just the, you know, the general side effects that women are told about birth control is like, oh, you might get a blood clot, but that's like really rare. And it's like, okay, no Kevin. Okay. First of all, I had two women in their thirties last year, no other reason for their blood clot, because I did the workups afterwards for their DVTs and their pulmonary embolisms. And there was no clot. There were no clotting deficiencies. It was from the pill. 
two women just in my practice last year. And I think that, I think the rate is like six to nine in every 10,000 women get a blood clot from birth control. Oh and my that's the, what we know. Yeah. So I, I think that is the statistic. I'm like, is it 10,000 or a hundred thousand? I think, no, it might be a hundred thousand. I can't remember, but it's, it's, it's more than people think it is. It's not like one in 1 million or one in 10 million or something like that. I wish it, I'm just afraid to misspeak. So I don't want to say definitely if it was 10 or a hundred thousand. Yeah. Um, you know, but let's talk about liver cancer, breast cancer, endometrial cancer, um, depression, anxiety, decreased sex drive because you don't ovulate. Right. And that's when you want sex the most, because that's when biologically you can get pregnant. Like whether that's your end game or not, that's when you want sex the most. Mm -hmm. So we shut that down. Right. Um, irregular bleeding. What else can happen from birth control? Oh, um, it changes your, it can change your vaginal microbiome. So increased instances of bacterial vaginitis, which is a vaginal infection because it screws with your pH, increased urinary tract infections. Um, you know, those things are not told to women. And then when they go in and say, well, I started having all these UTIs whenever I had my IUD put in, could it be that they're like, no, it's all in your head, you know? Yeah. No, like, abs- no, that is absolutely not in your head. And if a doctor ever tells you something's in your head, run the other direction. Yeah. As fast as Ooh. possible. <laughs> yes. Oh. Yes. Um, so I think that's pretty much, I don't know. Are there other things about birth control that people ask you or that you feel like, I know I sound like such a hater. <laughs> no, I don't, you I just, just sound passionate. Consent, you know, I, that's what I really hate is that the lack of informed consent and the lack of education for medical providers regarding it just baffles me. And then when women go in to talk about it, like I'm depressed since I started my pill, they're like, Oh, take this SSRI. Yeah. You know, I mean, 50, 50% of women are on the pill for non-contraceptive reasons. And that's a statistic I'm not okay with. Yeah. That's yeah. Super sad. Um, wow. What else you got um, for me? <laughs> I don't Everyone's know. It's gonna be like this girl, this this ranting. Well, These people are doing the podcast. <laughs> no, I think I think it's good and it's necessary. You're educating people out there. Um, well, why don't we talk a little bit about like the course you're taking me through? Yeah. And how you said you're becoming a certified fertility educator. Was that it? Yeah. Yeah. Um. So there's so much that I want to do with this, right? <laughs> well, that's um, that's my one question too. And maybe that's after you talk about it. But like, what do you want to do with it? Oh, God. You know, I had a student recently, a PA student, and I have a couple of um, patients who are physician assistant students. And they're like, can you come teach our women's health class? I'm like, put my name down. Like, yeah. I'm all about infiltrating the system. Um, so that is a big goal of mine is to bring this information um, to start infiltrating universities and bigger universities. I'm in Utah. So, um, the university of Utah has a campus here. Um, Rocky Vista, I think is starting a physician assistant program. So, um, let's go. Like I want to do this. Um, you know, but I, I have to finish my practice teaching first, which, um, I have to do three clients. Um, so the fertility, the fertility educator course I'm taking is FEM, which is fertility education and medical management. Um, I thought I'd be able to do the medical management course this year. And it is just, I have too much stuff on my plate. It's, I can't prioritize it. I'm choosing not to prioritize it. However you want to say it. Okay. Um, 
but the fertility educator course is really a teacher training course to teach women to learn how to either prevent or achieve pregnancy, um, whatever their goal is, or simply to track their menstrual cycles for their health, like to understand like what health problems they might be having or what issues could arise from like problems in their cycle. So they know what's normal, what's abnormal to help transition them into different phases of life, whether it's from puberty to main reproductive years to perimenopause to menopausal years. Um, so the course that I'm, that I am specifically being trained in is completely surrounds tracking cervical mucus. And (laughs) I am guessing that most people out there have no idea what cervical mucus is. Probably not. (laughs) I mean, I I literally, I did not know anywhere as much as I know now and what, (laughs) what we've been doing it for like two, three months now. Yeah. We've had two, you've, we've been through two sessions, you and Mm -hmm. I now for tracking your your fertility yeah (laughs) you're tracking your menstrual cycle whatever um so you know it it, I'm trying to think about how I want to go about this so cervical mucus I think a lot of women would classify as just vaginal discharge but it's Mm -hmm. not (laughs) um and cervical mucus changes depending on what point you're in in your cycle and also depending on your where what stage you're in in your in your reproduction years um so a 25-year-old female go- might have vastly different periods than a 35 or a 40-year-old female. Um, it's just going to look different, and that's natural. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but so it, it works with tracking your periods, so talking the blood qualities that we talked about before, and then going into tra- when you start developing cervical mucus at a point in your cycle. So like we talked about before, the first hormone to really rise is FSH. Um which isn't responsible directly for any cervical mucus production. There's more estrogenic fluid and there's more progesterone type fluid. So the first type of fluid we call EL. And it is, when you start to see this EL mucus, it's more of like a moist, not as abundant, can be white in color. Um, And when I say moist, it's a sensation that you'll feel like when you wipe, right? So like you'll feel just a little bit of moistness, like after you pee or some women I tell them like if they're having trouble discerning like bear down and like wipe before you pee (laughs) which sounds weird but it can be helpful right so um that is the beginning the opening of your fertile window so that is when we would tell a woman to you know abstain from sex if they don't want to be pregnant right so Generally in a healthy cycle, after a couple of days of that, you'll start to see more estrogenic mucus, which we call ES. So that's high estrogen. And this is really like a slippery, clear, lubricative cervical mucus. So like you will know when this is there. It's that egg white um, cervical mucus or discharge, however you want to talk about it. And that is your most fertile fluid. And the reason for that is, and even Ash, when you looked at it, when we looked at those microscope pictures of what ES fluid looks like, it almost looks like it would help sperm along because it looks like a little, like, doot, 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 like just, it would slither along, you know? Yeah. So, like little lines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and we, we look at this until the estrogenic fluid, you know, you, you, you'll likely have a couple of days of this, depending if I'm talking about people in their mid reproductive years. So anywhere between like the ages of 17 or 18 to like mid mid-ish 30s we're gonna say depending on depending on the woman this is gonna vary right so um the last day of that high estrogen fluid is what we call peak day 
So that is often correlated with ovulation. And most of the time within three days, um, women will note that they've ovulated um, within that peak day. And that can be tested with LH strips. So mm-hmm. we talked about that LH surge. Um, I wish I, I should have said that first. Like the first day of you have any estrogenic fluid is when people generally start testing um, to see if they are having a, like an ovulatory, an, an ovulation. LH strips, a positive there is not the same day as ovulation. So it indicates that you are going to ovulate within 24 to 36 hours. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, those are, those are way easier to use than I ever expected. Yeah. <laughs> you just literally, I'm not well, using them. So they, it is different. Like when I first got them, I was like, well, I'm just going to have to pee on this, but no, you have to like fill a cup and then dip it in for like a certain amount of time. So that's like not ideal keeping that cup near the toilet. Has Derek but... used that cup yet? <laughs> not when yet. He pisses you, when he pisses you off, have him use that cup. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Uh, so that last day that we really see that fluid is, is our peak day, but we can't really know that it's a peak day until we've observed dry days afterwards. So what that means is, I have like scant fluid. Maybe it's a little cloudy. Maybe it's a little white, like kind of almost looks like a mild yeast infection, like a little bit clumpy. And that's just normal because that's your vaginal pH changing. Right. Um, so it, once we've had that for three days, we know that our fertile window has closed because of how long, um, a sperm can survive because how long an egg can live after ovulation, which is 12 to 24 hours. Right. So that fertile window has closed. And if you don't want to be pregnant, that's a time where like you can have sex and not worry about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas like maybe on peak day, you want to make sure you're getting frisky if you want to have a kid, you know? (laughs) So (laughs) no, that makes sense. And something that you definitely taught me pretty recently is like, it's normal to have dry days. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that I just never, <laughs> I don't know. I never, it's so eye-opening. Even just tracking for like a month, it's like, oh, like, yeah, this all really makes sense. But before you actually do it yourself, it's just, I don't know. It's hard to all grasp. It's, it is a lot. Yeah, so um, having continual discharge is not healthy. Um, that can actually be a sign of HPV, um, which can, le- in, in a very small amounts, can lead to um, cervical cancer. Um, that's a whole other discussion as to, yeah, I'm not, I'm, you know what, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even mm-hmm. gonna open my mouth. Um, but yeah, so that is the reason that we do Pap smears and things like that. So I actually had a gal recently who she had never had a Pap. She was like 19, but she's like, I'm having vaginal discharge continually, like it's always there. And I'm like, well, we should, we should check that out. If you want to, we don't have to, but you know, it could be X, Y, or Z. It could be an STD. It could be HPV. Um, you know, cause paps aren't indicated until 21, regardless of your sexual activity at this point. And she was, I think she was I didn't 19. know that. Yeah. Yeah. So the guidelines change. Mm. Um, they change all the time. It's really, it's really a dynamic thing. Mm. <laughs> um, as I mean, medicine should be, because when you, when you learn more, like when you know better, do better. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, and usually what happens is this is that luteal phase length that I was talking about. So you ovulate, um, you have your peak day, and then you count your dry days or your more thick, dense, um, progesterone-like discharge. And 
this you may see a little bit more of this discharge as you get closer to your period because the closer you get to your period the more i believe it's basic um that the ph of your vagina gets i can never remember this people don't fault me for it i really do know what i'm talking about <laughs> um but it goes towards the direction of um more yeast that will inhabit your vaginal area and so you can have discharge and be like, oh God, am I getting a yeast infection? Like even sometimes like one or two days before my period, I'll be like, oh, I'm itchy. I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm probably going to st start my period. And then it just goes away. So I have so many women who come in thinking they have a yeast infection and they're like one or two days before their period. And I'm like, I'm not treating this. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, how many providers just throw fluconazole at this? It makes me want to gouge my eyeballs out, but whatever. Oh, um, for sure. <laughs> and it does, it just goes away, you know? Um, <laughs> but and then you know you have the the drop in progesterone and then you, you know you shed your endometrial lining and, and your period comes uh and and that's kind of a, a very very quick general look at cervical mucus disclaimer and please put a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode that this is not for medical advice um none of this is meant to substitute like getting help on your own and learning none of this is meant to you know teach somebody how to track their cervical mucus this is really just very 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 incredibly general information mm -hmm. right um so yeah but d did you want me to do like basal body temperature stuff too yeah we can do that yeah did you start did you start doing yours yet i did okay but i'm like <laughs> i'm trying to think what day i am i'm probably two to three days away from getting my period so it's stayed okay. pretty consistent i've only done okay. it for three days <laughs> okay what device did you end up getting um it is called let me pull up the app natural cycles okay yeah um, i was in between that and then the other one you recommended the one on the arm the temp drop but it was like i think 200 dollars more oh holy shit i didn't know it was, it was like that expensive significant and i was like I, I know myself, I can make myself use that thermometer every morning because <laughs> the convenience factor, that other oh. one is huge. Yeah. But and I think for like women who may be new moms, mm -hmm. um, you know, their breastfeeding, their sleeping's inconsistent, I think is, is a great tool or just for people oh, who for might not sure. be great sleepers. Um, how much was the temp drop? I'm just curious. Do you remember? I'll look it up. I don't off the top of my head. So yeah, there's, there's natural cycles, there's temp drop. Um, I use the Daisy. Um, Daisy's kind of the first one that was on the market that I really knew about. So I bought that and it, you know, I don't, I don't need it for, um, fertility management. Mm -hmm. I do it simply for my health. <laughs> so, but it gives you a nice chart. So I guess, you know, I should probably tell people what basal body temperature is. Cause a lot of women think they, they have to like measure their vagina temperature. Oh yeah. That was me. Yeah. I just never yeah. told you that. <laughs> Literally, when I said it to Derek, he was like, ew, you're not doing that. And I was like, I'll do anything. Like, it's fine. I want to know as much as I can. <laughs> so I was very That's happy so to see that it was a normal thermometer. <laughs> yeah, this it does not go in your vagina. This is not like you have to put in your anus. Like, this is not it, mouth only. Um, but yeah, I guess so you because you had an issue with your battery or something the other day, but I guess um, yeah. you want any thermometer that has two decimal points after, or two points after the decimal. Um, but from what I understand with like Daisy and natural cycles, they, the, the tip that measures your temperature is much more sensitive than like one you would buy at CVS or something like that. 
Um, but basal body temperature just really means first thing when you wake up in the morning. So before you put anything in your mouth, before you brush your teeth, um, like the second you wake up, like it's so habitual for me now that I just like reach for it. Yeah. I put it right Um, next to my alarm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and the reason for this is, is like I said earlier, um, progesterone actually raises your basal body temperature. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of things that can mess with this too, which I can talk briefly about, but you will start to see a steady rise in your basal body temperature by 0.20, um, after you have really started secreting enough progesterone for it to affect your, your, your body temperature. And this should sustain for at least five to seven days, some women more, um, for me, it lasts usually about eight to nine, and then it drops off the last two to three days before my period starts. Um, so it'll but, drop by only 0.2. Um, so once I've ovulated and I start pr- producing progesterone, you'll see an increase. So it'll go from like 97.5 to 90, 97.7. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like 97.50, 97.70. Okay. And as long as it sustains that, that's a pretty good indicator that you've ovulated and that you're making sufficient progesterone. Now, the ultimate clarification that you have ovulated is a successful pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Like that is really the end all be all. Yeah, you can do LH strips. You can do prove strips, which are um, it, it looks at a progesterone metabolite in your urine. So after you've ovulated, you can see if you're pr- producing progesterone. It's called P-R-O-O-V, prove. Oh. Um, I am not that familiar with those. I don't know how they work. Nobody DM me about them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they work. Um <laughs> But I've, I've heard about them and I've, I've talked to a couple people who have used them and seen and, and found it interesting. Um, but yeah, so it's really cool to see that fluctuation and that the human body, like the female body is really doing what it was intended to do. And it's like, cool, like I'm healthy enough to do this. And I probably should have, we probably should have talked about this at the beginning. Like part of why your menstrual cycle is important is like your body feels everything whether you want to consciously acknowledge it or not, it feels your stress. It feels your lack of sleep. It feels your shitty diet. It feels your lack of hydration. It feels your fight with your husband. It feels everything. Mm -hmm. And this is often where we see longer menstrual cycles and we'll see, you know, FSH will go up estrogen, FSH, estrogen, like neither of them will peak enough for someone to produce a cycle common in PCOS people. Right. Um, (laughs) excuse me. Sorry. Um, but you know, if your body doesn't feel safe, it's not, it's going to be like, hold the phone. You think I'm fucking ovulating and putting a baby in this. You can't even take care of you. You think you can take care of you and grow another (laughs) human bitch, please. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But that is the reality of it. Like when you ovulate, it is a sign that you are taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. So if you are not ovulating, you are not taking care of yourself or there is something going on inside of you. And I'm not placing blame on women saying you're not taking care of yourself. You know, everybody has their own story, but maybe it's time for you to stop and look at, am I saying yes to too many things that I want to say no to? Am I staying up too late? Am I not prioritizing my sleep? Do I need to quit going through McDonald's and buying Frappuccinos every day? Yeah. Am I exercising too much? Right. So let's go the other direction, right? Am I over-exercising? Am I under-eating? Right. Those are stressors on the body and that make you this is an, what we call an evolutionary mismatch. So our brains have not caught up to those things in a way to recognize them, but 
in a way that it still recognizes it as stress, but it can't differentiate it, differentiate it from a lion chasing us and a possible death threat. So that chronic everyday stress that you feel, it's an evolutionary mismatch to something's chasing me. I'm going to die. I'm not ovulating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah. sounds really drastic, but I think it gets the point across. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. And that's another reason, just like you were mentioning, why your period and your menstrual cycle, knowing those things are so important. It is so important. And that's why, like, when you start to track, like, I wish I would have been tracking in my 20s, you know, I mean, I was on birth control and a hot mess in my 20s. Um, Like, legit, I don't know how I have my life together as much as I do now. (laughs) I just, did you listen to the podcast with my college roommate last week? No, but it's top on my (laughs) list. Because one, I can't believe you were in a sorority. (laughs) When I saw that, I was like, "Uh uh-uh, no. (laughs) No, nope. um, but yeah, I mean, even she said she's like, you were a hot mess. <laughs> like, I know. How did I even I make? I do it wish I point? knew you then, though. Oh no, oh, I'm glad no one. I mean, people knew me then, but I'm glad that it's very few people. Yeah, you know. So, I mean, my whole point is just that knowing your body is so important, and even if we look at it from a perspective with anxiety, is a really good example. So many people don't recognize they feel anxious until they're literally on fire dumping gasoline on themselves. Like they're having full-blown panic attacks or headaches or, you know, just palpitations, not sleeping, like I can't breathe kind of things. When it's like, you didn't just go from zero to a hundred most, most of the time. There are instances, right? Mm -hmm. But in general, usually there's warning signs you know, that something just isn't going right. And with anxiety, maybe it's, I'm using this as a personal example from today that like, I knew I had to slow down today. Yeah. So (laughs) I really wanted a breakfast sandwich and I got so fucking pissed that there was no bread. I literally, (laughs) I was cursing Marcus for eating the last of the bread. Whereas like, I don't need to yell about that. Like, it's okay. Oh, that's funny. And that wasn't, and that for me, for my body, I know I need to pull back. I know mm-hmm. I need less social media. I need less interaction, um, less, less, less. I had therapy scheduled today and that was it. And I felt really good. So I was like, Hey, let's jump on a podcast. Mm-hmm. But I didn't just say, I didn't just haphazardly say that to you. I checked in with myself first mm-hmm. to me. That's what tracking is for your menstrual cycle is checking in with yourself. What's going right. What's not going well. Like what are some things that I can do to improve my menstrual cycle? Okay. Mm-hmm. So those are things we can talk about because they're very basic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been posting a lot about the basics recently. Um, why don't you tell people I've like really hogged the mic. So you've learned some things. What are some things that affect your menstrual cycle, Ash? <laughs> <laughs> you In mean a negative way. Oh, I was going to say like, are you talking about stress? It's one of them. Like stress. Oh, I mean, over-exercising, under-exercising, sleep. Um, what else? Like you mentioned, rela- relationships, any stress. I guess that's stress in general. But it could be good and bad stress. Mm-hmm. Moving, to a new job. Um, health issues, too. Like if you have a vaginal infection, um, you know, if you're having an abnormal menstrual cycle, and you've never had that before. Like, that's weird, right? Did you start a new medication recently that might be impacting your, your menstrual cycle? Um, controversial opinion, but I'm going to say it anyway, because that's how I am. 
lots, lots of people telling me about the COVID vaccine affecting their menstrual cycle. I was literally just about to ask you, and I was like, do I do it? Do I do it? <laughs> Don't worry, I already did it. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. No, but in all seriousness, like correlation does not equal causation, but, but there is a large conversation out there um, surrounding this. Um, and I've, you know, from women who have had very, very regular menstrual cycles saying, hey, do you know anything about the COVID vaccine affecting menstrual cycles? And I'm like, this is interesting. Again, correlation does not equal causation. I do not have a double-blind placebo-controlled trial Mm -hmm. um, to tell me about this, but I've also had a lot of colleagues, a lot of um, other women's health practitioners who have had this this conversation. So, you know, again, this just just shows that we don't research these things. Yeah. Like, no, no one's doing this study. Yeah. So how, how are we ever really going to know? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it's just, my whole point is that there's a lot of things that can affect your menstrual cycle and weight really, really basic ways that I personally believe that everybody has a capacity that they can make an improvement on cut out processed foods, not cut out, but you know, limit, limit. them, mm-hmm. eat a micro nutrient dense diet. So vitamins, minerals, etc high in fiber. So fiber is great for your menstrual period, healthy fats. So low fat diets. Um, so cholesterol, while it gets a really bad rap, right. (laughs) And you don't want too much of it, but cholesterol is actually a precursor to your sex hormone production. So for me, I was on a 45, 45 grams of fat for over a year. (laughs) Don't do that. Oh, did you not know this? I don't think so. Yeah. A whole year. Oh, And I followed it blindly. That's, that's my fault. (laughs) What did I eat? I have no idea. Like you couldn't have had beef in there. (laughs) No, I mean, yeah. I mean, my palms were orange. I was a mess, right? So there was a lot of stuff going wrong there, but cholesterol is a precursor to your sex hormones. So if you're not eating enough healthy fats, so I'm not talking about going to McDonald's. I'm talking about, you know, protein with some fat in it. Um, olives, olive oil, fit, fatty fish, avocado, um, nuts, nuts seeds, <laughs> chia and flaxseed are fantastic for menstrual cycle health, right? And you can add them to anything. Anything. Dude, well, chia pudding. Yes. And let's, let's talk a little bit. I don't think this is necessary. There like was a trend of this, but the seed cycling. Yes. Isn't what I've heard about it is like, it's more just about those healthy fats. It's an easy way to get them. Yeah. Versus like yeah. the actual types of seeds used. I think there was something about flaxseed that helps with excess prostaglandin. So okay. like that excessive cramping. So that's like how ibuprofen hmm. works, right? It actually inhibits prostaglandins is why it helps with cramps. Oh, okay. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sitting here and I actually just had this thought is I wonder if people who chronically use ibuprofen could be constipated because I wonder what, what low level of prostaglandins our body are always making. And if someone's always taking ibuprofen, if that, that could cause constipation, um, that was literally just a moment realization (laughs) real time. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so there was some, there's some talk about that, but in general, I don't think that there's any significant evidence to support it. If it was too it was too much for me. Like it became more of a stressor. They were yummy for- though. Yeah. And I, um, I still use chia and flaxseed very regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so improving your nutrition is a big one. So, and that includes under eating, like under eating is a stressor on your body. People stop it. Feed yourself three times a day. I'm a hard person to push off the hill. If you need to eat three times a day, mm-hmm. I'll die on that hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dead. I'm with you. 
<laughs> I am dead right- and dying. <laughs> I am right there with you. I can't the sass is strong today. This is literally my, my medical, all the medical. I stand out with all the medical assistants just because I don't like to be by myself at work and yeah. I like to like annoy them, right? And I like them in general as people. <laughs> and somebody got me going on like nutrition or birth control, oh, and no. my medical assistant comes back. She's there. She's like, "Who did it? Who wound her up? Who got started?" <laughs> That's awesome. No, I love your passion <laughs> behind it. And I, I'm starting, I won't lie. Like when we first, when you first came into my life, I was like, I don't really get like, I don't get it. And as I continue to learn more and more, I'm like, okay, I'm starting to get it. Like it is, it's, <laughs> it's mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, and I think it's, it's important that you're ma- you're passionate about it because it, it, you just care. Yeah. I do. I just want people to know and know that they have some control, right? So like improve your diet, sleep seven to nine hours a night, right? Put Mm -hmm. your phone away, get the TVs out of your room, turn the lights off, sleep in a cold environment, like improve your sleep hygiene, drink enough water for the love of God, people. If I see one more, I had a lady come in. She's had like seven UTIs this year. And she's like, Oh, I've been, I don't, I don't really drink a lot of water. I've been, you know, I've been told that I need to drink more water, drink more water. Yeah. Set reminders in your phone. Carry a water bottle with you. I'm just like, damn, like you've been in here. You've had seven courses of antibiotics this year because she has real infections. Like I send it for a culture and everything. And I'm like, you know, she can't be bothered to drink water. But now here she is paying all these medical bills on all these antibiotics with this, which, you know, disrupt your gut microbiome and your vaginal microbiome and everything. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so <laughs> drink water. I recommend, I know it's a lot. I recommend a gallon a day. I live in the desert. Damn it, people. It's hot here. Like mm-hmm. it's 90 something degrees here already. Um, <laughs> drink your water. Um, and, and cortisol gets a bad rap, right? Like stress gets a bad rap. I was actually working on doing a post on this. Like cortisol isn't your problem. It's having an awareness of your stress and also managing it, managing mm-hmm. it, right? Managing your cortisol, because it's, it's not your body's fault for producing cortisol. It's doing what it is meant to do in those situations. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something I talk every single week with my nutrition clients is stress and stress management, what they're doing to manage their stress. And I had an interesting conversation with a client last week or the week before that you and I have had before where it's finding that balance with stress management of, yeah, you want to implement things that are Mm. going to help with stress, but if they're on your to-do list and you're only doing them to check them off, is it really helping you manage your stress? Because she was saying, she's like, when I don't, when I don't get to them, I get more stressed. And I'm like, yeah, like we, we don't want that. That's, defeating the entire purpose so it's finding that balance of what finding what works for you and that that might be a variety of different things yeah totally I say like if stress management is becoming stressful you need to knock it off Mm, yeah I like that (laughs) you do I mean there's and I've you know there's been a time in my life where I've been guilty of all of these things and you know learning experience is the best teacher you know, lots of these things I learned through experience. And yeah, I had an advanced medical degree to be able to decipher a lot of this. And that was really helpful. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but these are really basic things that I think most people can do, you know, maintain a healthy body weight. Like, I'm sorry, 
but the 12% of America is metabolically healthy. And that's not because of shitty genetics. 12%. And I get it. 12%. I've heard the statistic a couple of times and I can't remember where I most recently read that, but I I think Julie Fouché had, had said something on her podcast or had posted that. Um, and then God, I can't remember who the other most recent person was. I can't remember. Um, gosh, but you know, and, and there are other deeper seated reasons why people are overweight, right? Like trauma is a big one. You know, I, I understand that it's not just about the food, that there's a lot more behind that, but our weight in America is a problem. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry if that's not politically correct, but there's a reason why we had as much trouble with COVID as we did in America, as opposed to other countries where they are more have normal weights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and just to be clear, I'm not a proponent of people being underweight either. I view that as a huge problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, so making sure that you are at a, and, and, and I'm not an end all be all die by the scale or the BMI. The BMI is, Oh, such a bad measure. Um, I know that's, it just, it doesn't account for body comp. It, I mean, no, I think I'm, I think I'm considered overweight on BMI. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm not, I'm really close. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I think my BMI is like 23. I don't know. I think the last time I I want to say mine's high 24, 25 and isn't 25. 25 is overweight. Yeah. Yeah. So So here we are. Yeah. Here we are. Um, Speaking of with like bad measures of health. So I think you probably saw that I had posted this about my A1C and mm-hmm. glucose control before I tell the story. Um, glucose control is so important to, excuse me, hormone balancing for women because insulin is a tier one hormone, insulin and cortisol. So if we're, if we have blood sugar out of whack, if we're not eating at regular intervals and we're eating too much processed crap, um, it's going to screw with your menstrual period. Mm. big time okay yeah yeah but I had had an elevated hemoglobin a1c um not elevated like pathologically but it was 5.6 and hemoglobin a1c is a measure of your blood glucose control over the past 90 days and my a1c has always been like 5.3 which everyone's like that's you know 5.7 is pre-diabetic 5.3 is totally normal but most people expect me to have an a1c like in the fours Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is rare um and there was a whole long drawn out story about how my doctor responded to this and told me to, you know, just keep focusing on diet and exercise with, and it, it ended up coming back that my A1C was still 5.3. Cause we did a Venus draw. And I was like, first of all, know who you're talking to, like know who your patient is. Second of all, like that could be problematic to tell someone who's already exercising the way I am. Right. Yeah. Oh, whatever. I'm just, what do I know? Um, <laughs> but what was my original point in saying this? Um, I've rambled now, so I don't remember. Um, something about. Well, you were talking oh, about. Oh, 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 I remember. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I've always had like an elevated lipid level too, just very slightly. Like mm-hmm. I've had an LDL of 125 since I've been 25 years old. I'm 37 now. Um, that has not changed. It has not budged. My HDL is like 60 or 70. It's really high. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and. I've just always thought that was weird, but I'm not doing anything about it. Like I'm, I'm eating about 16, 17 grams of saturated fat a day, which is a very, very normal and within a recommended range to have a normal cholesterol level. But there is new research and Rich told me about this. 
and he sent me a couple of articles on it, that there is new research that they're studying on people who are very active. So like professional athletes and Olympic athletes and things. And while I'm not at that level, like I'm really active, right? Like I run, I lift weights, I hike, I'm moving all throughout the day and everything that, and I had other people message me after this too, but the research is showing that people who are very active at baseline have a higher lipid level or a higher fasting glucose, like not maybe necessarily pathologically, but, um, because they have to have energy more readily available, more consistently, as opposed to people who are sedentary. Huh, that makes sense. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. So I actually had a gal who, um, I played competitive softball with. She's a big runner. I think she like qualified for Boston, um, marathon at some point. And she's like, I had an hemo and I had an A1C in the pre-diabetic range. And I'm like, I eat healthy. I exercise like what the fuck? Yeah. Like what <laughs> else can you do? Just, right. Like it's probably just normal for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Speaking of rich, really he's, he's so smart. He is. Anyone go follow him. Is it Dr. Rich Shoemaker? Is that his? I can't say his last name. I think it's Shoemaker. Schoenmacher. I think it's Schoenmacher. No. He said it's like school, but maker. Schoenmaker. I don't know. He had to pronounce oh it on, on my podcast because I can't pronounce it. Well, I feel bad. I was his mentor when he was an undergrad. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> said his name wrong the entire time. <laughs> Not that I say his last name a lot, but... Yeah, go follow him on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, he's he's super smart. But yeah, I, I thought that was super interesting because I always thought it was weird. Like, why do I have like a quote unquote elevated LDL, but I'm, you know, super healthy body composition. Mm-hmm. Um, I eat right. I sleep like every, you know, there's not there's no more lifestyle factors for me to. Modify. It doesn't run in my family either. Like, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, interesting. But yeah, that's my. That's I've, I've gone on like 700 different tangents. <laughs> no, I like it. I do have one quick question that I meant to ask you before. Something that you taught me in the past. I can't remember it now. But when is a good time to test hormones? Because I oh. remember. Yeah, I did it wrong in the past. Yeah, well, That's a really good thing to talk about. I love this. I love this question. <laughs> um. Well, so, cause this, this is another thing doctors don't tell you ugh, at all. It, if people could see me right now, I'm literally putting my head in a vice. Women will come into me and they'll bring their, I see Coda back there. I know. I I, that's, he distracted me because I literally thought it's like he was on his back paws in the air. <laughs> <laughs> um, they'll come to me with their test results and I'll say, what day in your menstrual cycle were these taken? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. Did your doctor tell you when to test, when to do this test? No, they just told me to go. Mm-hmm. Like, did you take a physiology class in med school? What the fuck? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I can't with that. Like, if you know how the menstrual cycle works, you know that hormone levels are different. And on our interpretation of it, it'll say, okay, this is what these hormone levels should be in the follicular phase, ovulatory, luteal phase, first trimester, second, third trimester. Like, if we're looking at those things, right? So how do you not know that you need to give someone a fucking directive? These are gynecologists doing this. It makes yeah. me literally want to blow my brains out. I'm sorry that I'm being like so overt about this, but <laughs> I just can't. I just cannot anymore. It makes me like blow up. So <laughs> if I can give some people some directive after I flip out, right? <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I can't. It's 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 like when you guys see people just being like, you know, 
their their life is on fire with stress and everything else and they've been under eating their whole life and they're like but i'm gonna try intermittent fasting because that's gonna be the solution yeah. right um so for progesterone um let me actually answer the fucking question now <laughs> um it's always an explicit rating when i'm here <laughs> So think, think about the menstrual cycle that we talked about, right? So estro, follic, uh, follicle stimulating hormone and estrogen are going to be dominant in that first, first phase, right? Mm -hmm. um, so follicle stimulating hormone is best looked at around day three. Um, I have never specifically tested anyone's estrogen in their follicular phase. And here is why. Estrogen usually isn't the problem um, making enough of it. And, and if they're making too much of it, you still get a you still get a little bump of estrogen at the end of your cycle in your in your luteal phase, that kind of aligns with um, when you test your progesterone. So I look at estrogen and progesterone at the same time to see like, okay, are we out of balance? Like, where are we? Do we still have a shitload of estrogen hanging around um, that maybe doesn't need to right? So, ideally, you want to look at progesterone five to seven days after your basal body temperature has risen. Okay. Now for people who don't have a base, I, I sigh because I'm like, that really is the best for people who don't have a basal body temperature, uh, monitor yet. If you don't go get one. Um, if you're on the pill or hormonal, hormonal contraceptive, you won't see that fluctuation by the way, just to be clear. Okay. Um, so, but go ahead. Um, so if you don't have a, have a basal body temperature monitor, if your cycle is about 28 to 30 days, you want to be testing your hormones around days 19 to 22. Somewhere in that range um, should give you the answer, should, I say that should, um, give you what you need for accurate progesterone measurements. If your cycle is longer, you want to push those days. So for instance, if you're having 31 to 34 day cycles, um, then you want to push it more towards like 23 to 25 days. Okay. Because when you would expect to see when you would expect to see that raise on basal body temperature. And if you have a shorter cycle, say you have a 24, 25 day cycle, you might want to be looking at days 16, 17, 18 to be testing. Okay. And that makes is, sense. yeah. Is it pointless to test w when you're on hormonal contraceptives? Oh, I mean, yes, is my short answer because mm -hmm. what are we going to learn from that? We don't know where you are in a, you're not having a cycle. Yeah. Right. So technically your body still is going to produce some of your natural hormone that is very dependent on the type of contraceptive. So are you on an IUD that you can still possibly ovulate on? Um, are you on a, are you on a pill? Are you doing the depot? Are you on, you know, a copper IUD, which you will ovulate on? Um, a normal, this is random, but a normal, a hormonal IUD, you may still ovulate on. Yes. Um, and, and, and you may not have an actual bleed because part of how an IUD works is, is it just thins your uterine lining? Okay. Huh. And it also, it does things with sperm that like shoo it away and, and things like that, that help, um, that make it effective in preventing pregnancy. Gotcha. But the, the reason that I say the jury's out on that is because they say potentially up to 80% of women or something like that, 80% or 80% of the time, I can't remember, um, may still ovulate. However, I don't know. Like yeah. it's just no one, I, those, those specific studies just aren't being done. Um, you know, and we don't know where someone is in their cycle. 
you know, mm-hmm. they're not, or they're not having a true cycle, right? If they're on the pill, they're definitely not cycling. Hopefully mm-hmm. they're not. Otherwise their pills not being effective for them. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a waste of time. I won't do it. Um, because I don't know how to interpret that. Like there's, there's, what am I going to interpret for the person? What is that? How is that going to change my management? That's what I ask whenever I order any test. How is this lab going to change my management when it comes back? Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, I thought that I could beat science and that there's no way that I have low hormones. Like I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I had the hormone levels of a postmenopausal woman at 32. Yeah. Uh huh. I mean, there were a lot of other factors with me, right? Over exercising, under eating, yada, 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 yada. Yeah. Ugh. So, yeah. So I, doctors do it and I'm like, what are you doing exactly? Can you explain it to me? <laughs> yeah. Give it, giving the patient answers that may not necessarily be helping that are so unhelpful right yeah yeah that's frustrating um anything else I have like two more questions for you but go ahead uh where what are recommendations or places or people that you recommend people follow go to to learn more about women's health I love this question um Dr. Jolene Brighton, um, she's a naturopathic physician and she also has like a PhD in bio nutrition chemistry or something. I don't know. The woman is stupid, stupid smart. Yeah. Um, she is the author of the book beyond the pill. I also hear that she is working on a new book. I don't know what that is, but I hear that through the grapevine. Her Um, articles on our website are so incredible. Yeah. And they're very like very, if you're a normal human, like kind of like how you speak, like you can, you can take it in. Yeah. Yeah. She, and she, I I love people who are so wicked smart like that and they can break it down. Yeah. Um, she's, she also coined the term post birth control syndrome. Um, so coming off of birth control can be its own beast. Um, that's a conversation for another day. Cause I could literally talk about that for hours. Um, Kelly Hendrickson, Jack, who I mentioned the author of the fifth vital sign. She also has a podcast called fertility Friday. She is amazing. Her book is literally, I call it the Bible of women's health and not to be disrespectful to religion, but it tells you everything. Yeah. No, um, that's great. Uh, fix your period by Nicole Jardim. Um, Nicole is a wonderful human being. She is stupid smart as well. Um, when it comes to women's health, like I learned so much from her. Um, Dr. Laura Bryden, she is the author of the period repair manual and now also the hormone repair manual, which is a book for women specifically in perimenopause and menopause. I know there are other people. Um, I I know the book, no period. Now what? I don't know who the author is, but I hear amazing things about that book as well. Okay. No, I think those are good, a good start. And then lastly, like where can people find you if this is the first time <laughs> that they're listening. I don't know how many, how many episodes have you been on? I think this Four is five or, five. or six. Yeah. <laughs> so if they have not heard you before, where can they find you? Yeah. So I changed my Instagram handle. So my Instagram handle is now just my name at danielle.kepix, D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E dot K-E-P-I-C-S. How um, did I not know that? How did you not notice that? I don't know. I mean, it's I've been literally repost you every day. <laughs> I don't I'm, just ignore it. <laughs> it's up there with our math skills. Yeah. Um, yeah. I ditched, I ditched the PAC because I, I don't even really like my middle name and it was my middle name before. And um, you know, I, I'm someone who believes that I identify so as so much more 
than just with my profession. So PAC was at the end of my handle before. And I'm like, you know what? There's so much more to me as a person that I just, I dropped it. Yeah. Um, I love so that. yeah. And then my podcast strong and unfiltered. Um, if you like to hear people talk with no nonsense and no BS, um, I, we talk about anything from trauma and grief to nutrition, mental health, um, you had Nicole, Nicole on yours, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nicole came on. And then, um, at some point I am going to ask Jolene to come on. I just haven't, it just hasn't like, I don't know the timing hasn't been right, I guess. Yeah. Um, super excited for Sarah Hill to come on and talk. Oh, Sarah Hill, your brain on birth control. Um, oh my God. It like that woke me up. Mm-hmm. Like you want to talk about a book that woke you up about what the pill does to your body. Holy shit. And that woman is smart as a whip as well. Um, but yeah, yeah. So we talk about everything. Ashley's on a couple episodes. Derek's <laughs> Derek's been on. You, I don't remember the numbers now. You were episode four. Derek was six. I don't know. Check it out. Search their name. Yeah. Well, perfect. Anything else? Um, if you have questions, DM me. Um, I'm willing to help people give general information. I cannot obviously give medical advice, but if anything, if I can point you in the right direction of anything or help you find a medical provider in your area. Um, you know, let me know. And maybe sometime in the near future, I'll be offering fertility education classes to the masses. Yeah, do it. Stay tuned. I'm all for it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Danielle, for of coming course. on today. And I love, I love chatting it. with you. <laughs> Hi, y'all. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you are tuning in every single week, we appreciate you so much. And if this is your first time listening, we appreciate that as well. In either case, do us a favor. If you enjoy what you're listening to, go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment there as well. That is how we get more recognition on the platform, and that's how we're able to reach more people and change more lives. Aside from that, be sure to follow us on every other platform. Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, we're on everything. Subscribe to those channels so you can stay up to date on all of the information we are putting out there to help you move closer toward your goals. We hope to see you guys again next week.